On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, Kenneth and I talk about the North and Southwest divisions within the Western Conference, and then we get into our top 10 players that we have coming into this NBA season. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. You're not going to want to miss this episode. We'll see you guys right after this short break. Welcome to another episode of the Breaking the Game show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I am the co-host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell, and I am joined here today by my co-host, who is finally back. He's ready to talk some NBA hoops, and that's Steven. Steven, how are you doing tonight, man? Man, Kenneth, it's such an honor to be back, and uh, you know, thank you for everyone who has you know, been been reaching out to me since I've been back. I've been back for a little over a week now as of this recording, but man, Kenneth, it's, a, it's such an honor to, to be back on the show with you, man, and just, you know, hats off and, and much love to you for holding down the fort while I was gone, man. It, it's very much appreciated. For sure, and we are ramping up as far as NBA content goes because while you were away, there wasn't a lot happening. If it wasn't Vaccine or Kyrie Irving, then there really wasn't a lot happening, so we are just a few days away from the NBA season tipping off. I'm super excited about it. I know you are as well. So we're going to get right into the show. But I want to remind our listeners that this show is sponsored by MyBookie. Use promo code OFF THE BALL in all caps at sign up. And MyBookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000. Let's make sure to sign up and let's win big. So we're going to get right into the show. Uh, as you can tell from the description of the show, we're talking about the Northwest Division. We're going to break down the Southwest Division as well. And then we're finally going to give our top 10 players list. We've gone from 100 down to 11. And so it's time finally to show off our top 10 players list heading into the season. But we're going to get started right away with the Northwest Division. And you could say this is one of the stronger divisions in basketball last year. You know, Utah was the one seed in the Western Conference. You had Denver, who had the MVP of the league in Nikola Jokic. So shout out to him for winning the award last year. You had Portland with Damian Lillard and company. And even the bottom two teams in this division in Minnesota and OKC, they've got a couple just really exciting players to watch. There was Anthony Edwards, who came on the second half of the year. And you've also got Russell and, and Towns there. And then Oklahoma City with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Luckily, still on the Oklahoma City Thunder, given the offseason. So, Stephen, we're going to get right into things by talking about the top team in that division. That was the Utah Jazz. They were 52-20 and 20 last year. They ultimately fell in the playoffs to the L.A. Clippers. So, what did you make of Utah's offseason as a whole? Well, I think that one of the biggest things that helped them the previous season was that, Kenneth, that they were the most, you know, kept together team their chemistry was on point you know our, our buddy mo murphy from the up and flame show he's been a friend of breaking the game since its inception really you know he and i we shared an awful lot that the cohesion that the utah jazz had for last season was one of the reasons that they ran off you know in in the standings for the western conference and by and large they're mainly the same team with you know adding really good players in the draft you know they they went out and got um you know, Jeff Green, they drafted well. They got Jared Butler, you know, in a trade that they were in, they were able to pull off. And they were able to keep a lot of guys too. You know, Mike Conley Jr., 
Trent Forrest, a little known guy, and then also Jarrell Brantley. They did lose uh, uh, Georges Niang and Juwan Morgan, Morgan to the Celtics, and then Niang to the to the um, Philadelphia 76ers. But by and large, man, this is the same roster. You know, Quinn Snyder has has a great reputation with this, with his rotation, with his players. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert last season kind of put any rumors that they weren't going to be able to play together because of the whole COVID situation in the bed. It looks like that they are off to the races. You know, you got the other Bogdanovich on this team kind of still holding it together. And then what else did they do, man? They, they added Rudy Gay and then Hassan Whiteside to back up Rudy Gobert. So they finally have a center who I think they can put out on the court when Gobert needs to sit and they won't automatically just start losing in the paint because Hassan Whiteside, say what you will about him, he's a he's a capable center. We've seen him look really good on some teams, and whether or not he's chase, chasing stats I think is irrelevant when you consider the role that he's going to have on this Jazz team. Yeah, when I look at Utah's offseason, I was a big fan of it. Um, obviously, losing Yang hurts, um, but the additions that they had, like Rudy Gay, great veteran presence as well as Hassan Whiteside. Hopefully uh, he can keep it together mentally as far as his game goes uh, and be a really serviceable backup center there. I also like the Eric Paschal move. Like I'm just a big fan of it as a whole. Um, This is just a team that's really deep to me. And I think a lot of people were critical of the Connolly extension due to the the money side of things. But if you're in Utah's position, you have to give Mike Connolly that money because what's the alternative? You let him walk and then you've got to go out and find a point guard. Like Connolly played really well with, with Donovan Mitchell last year. They developed that chemistry as you talked about. This is just a team that can go eight, nine, ten guys deep. They can win a ton of regular season games. And I think Donovan Mitchell is only going to get better. We've seen him perform in the playoffs really well. Rudy Gobert, one of the best defensive anchors in the league. So Utah as a whole, I thought they had a great offseason, and I think that they're ready to roll again, potentially taking that one seed once again, especially with all the depth that they had. The second team in the division was the Denver Nuggets, and while I liked their offseason, it is tough because they are going to be missing Jamal Murray for the majority of the season, so essentially they're just trying to hold down the fort until he comes back. But I think the drafting of Nishan Highland is huge for them because I think he's going to provide those minutes that Murray is obviously going to be missing for most of the year. Uh, so overall, I like their offseason. I like that they extended Will Barton. I think that's a good move. Uh, so overall, losing JaVale McGee is, a, is tough, but I think they still have enough depth there in order to compete in the Western Conference. The big question mark with for them this year is going to be Michael Porter Jr. We saw him get his big extension and shout out to him for getting paid. And he's performed really well. He's a very efficient scorer and he provides that second option for Jokic while Murray is out. But can he step up and improve those numbers even further? Because Michael Porter Jr. was the number one player coming out of high school. The reason why he fell in the draft was injuries. So now he's starting to get to that level that we thought he could be prior to those injuries. So can he hold it down? Can he play the full schedule and really help Jokic and stay afloat in the West while they wait on Murray? So what did you make of, of Denver's offseason? Yeah, I, I echo a lot of the same sentiments that, that you just put out. You know, losing JaVale McGee um, was was kind of big for their front court, but I think even bigger than that was Paul Millsap because, you know, the season prior they lost Jeremy Grant and they were able to keep Paul Millsap on this team and kind of help that defensive front court because – 
let's face it, Nikola Jokic has actually grown as a defender. If you pay any attention to the team at all, you will see that he is no longer just a flat-out dud on that end. He does hustle. He does give effort. But the reason that Denver remained kind of at the top of the defensive standings for quite some time was because they had a guy like a Paul Millsap. Well, he's no longer on this team either. He's actually in Brooklyn now, which y'all covered earlier in the in, you know in the breakdowns of the divisions for the conferences. But they don't have that front court presence. And you know, for Michael Porter Jr., all the things that he does well, one of the things that he still struggles with is the is the defensive side of the ball. And so without any sort of defensive presence from him, it's going to be a different feel, I think, for Denver this year. Now, they did add guys like Jeff Green. You mentioned Nashawn Highland. I think that that's an excellent addition. I'm surprised that he fell as deep as he did. And who, you know, what, what better type of player to get than when you lose a Jamal Murray than a Bones Highland? For those who are unfamiliar, when I was scouting this guy, there's not a shot that this guy is afraid of. You know, he has a confidence of, a, a top point guard. I'm not saying that he's going to develop into like a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry or a Trey Young or what have you. I'm just saying he has that belief in himself. When you see him play, he's he stands out. You know, he has that that charisma that he believes in his abilities, and I think that that's going to help out a lot this season. Now we all know that Mike Malone isn't really a rookie friendly head coach, but he's going to kind of have no choice but to let Bones go out there and make some decisions. I think that his play style is similar to Jamal Murray, but has a little bit more playmaking ability as far as getting others involved. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they fare out with that. I didn't mention earlier, but I think that the Utah Jazz are going to finish second overall in the NBA, first out of the Northwest Division. For Denver, I have them finishing fourth, even with the Jamal Murray injury, because I think Michael Porter Jr., for all the defensive worries that I have for him, offensively he's butter you know he's he looks good out there shooting the ball I think he's going to get a little bit more leeway Michael Michael Malone is going to have to trust in him a little bit more and I think that they finish second in their division fourth overall in the west yeah I'm a little bit lower on Denver just because of of the issues there with Jamal but I still think that they're a western conference playoff team they have the MVP from last year they've got a ton of depth there Aaron Gordon as well a player that we didn't really mention but Mm -hmm. he's a guy that's going to provide some secondary scoring so I'm not concerned about Denver in the grander scheme of things as I said they just need to stay afloat while Jamal heals and hopefully comes back in time for the playoffs and even even a month prior would be great so we can get his legs under him before the playoffs roll around. The third team in this conference or in this division was Portland. They were 42 and 30. Uh, this is a team that had a ton of turnover in this offseason, including a new head coach. So what do you make of Portland heading into this season? Well, you know, the additions aren't really uh, too eye grabbing. You know, they were able to acquire Norman Powell last season. They signed him to a big contract extension, which thank goodness, right? Because Although they don't have a lot of wing depth here, they were able to get guys like Tony Snell and Cody Zeller. So some decent rotational pieces. But I think really the player that they kept, Norman Powell, is what they need to hang their hat on. The players they lost, you know, Zach Collins, Zenas Cantor, Carmelo Anthony, now with the Los Angeles Lakers, and then Harry Giles, who recently just got cut, who is now a free agent. It's kind of up in the air how good this team can be. I think that they're good enough. Chauncey Billups is a rookie head coach for this season, so it'll be interesting to see what type of offense and defense he employs. But we're so used to Terry Stotts captaining this team at least to the playoffs, and right now I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt of having a guy like Damian Lillard being good enough to get them the eighth seed in the West, third place in the division. 
but who knows how long Damian Lillard is going to stay in, in Portland. You know, that I think is the biggest question for this team is how long can Damian Lillard remain a Portland trailblazer? And I think, listen, if you're a trailblazer fan, I'm sure you're tired of listening to this. You want to trade Damian Lillard. You want to get as much value for this guy as you possibly can. You're a small market team. You need more bites at the apple, right? You need to trade away the guys that you have on this team who have any sort of value at all. CJ McCollum, Yosef Nurkic, Robert Covington. These are guys that you can get any sort of draft capital on. And I think that you need to do that because you don't have a bunch of free agents walking through your door. I'm going to differ on the Lillard point, at least for now. But the only reason why is because primarily for Lillard's career, we've seen him with Terry Stotts. And I like Stotts as a coach, but I want to see what Chauncey Billups brings to the table this year because it could work where we see them kind of spread things out. They go more running gun, like more so than Lillard just holding on to the ball because he does that a lot. He is a bit of a ball stopper in that regard. So I'd like to see them move the ball more. Overall, I, I really like the Larry Nance Jr. move. I think he mm-hmm. provides a ton of versatility for them. I'm, I'm a Zeller guy. I like him just as like that serviceable backup. Uh, and then obviously the Powell move. I didn't like to see Dennis Jones Jr. leave or Derek Jones Jr. leave. It's just a tough one for me to see him walk. But I don't think they're really going to miss Mello as much as people think. Um, Zach Collins was always hurt. Cantor doesn't play any defense. So I think they're going to be okay. Like, I don't think that they made any moves that are going to, like, even with the new coaching change, they're not going to vault from being that 8-9 seed to suddenly being in the top five or six teams. I think they kind of just held serve here with the moves that they made. Um, The Nance move was obviously the big one for me. So Mm -hmm. I think Portland still hovers around that 8 or 9 seed. We'll probably see them in the play-in game once again. Uh, But overall, I just think this team needs to make more moves or they need to move on from, from Damian Lillard. You can't, it feels like they're sitting in the middle and all that's going to result in, in a couple of years is him walking or his skills deteriorating. And then you don't get a lot for him. So uh, I just want to see one year with Billups. Maybe they can turn it around. If not, then I think it's time that Dame parts ways. And then we've got the bottom two teams in the division who are only separated by a game, but they had a lot of losses in, in that column. Uh, you had Minnesota at 23 and 49. You had Oklahoma City at 22 and 50. So overall, it was a two tough seasons for these teams. Um, Minnesota, they obviously dealt with everything in regards to Carl Anthony Towns and COVID, but they did have some bright points in Anthony Edwards showing some development. Uh, D'Angelo Russell later in the year coming back because he was hurt for a while there. So he provided them some scoring as well. Um, as far as off-season moves, they didn't really make any. Like, you lose Rubio, you lose Culver, you lose Hernan Gomez, you add Prince and Beverly. I don't think Beverly is quite the needle mover that a lot of people think that he is, but he could maybe provide some defense at the guard position because we know Russell and Edwards are not playing much defense there. When we're talking about Oklahoma City, they gave up Horford and some small role players. I like the favors move. I think it's going to work out well for them. Uh, I know you and I were not very high on Josh Giddy, especially getting drafted there. Um, but I did like the picks of Trey Mann and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think those are two pieces that could come in right away and provide some solid minutes for them. Because let's face it, Oklahoma City doesn't have a lot there. The fact that they were even entertaining moving on from Shea Gilgis Alexander was, was mind-boggling to me. But then they ultimately give him his extensions. So 
we'll see if he's actually there long term or whether they just sign that and then they're gonna end up moving him anyways but what did you make of the two off seasons for Minnesota or Oklahoma City obviously they didn't have a lot of wins last year do you see that changing at all this year I don't really see either one of them moving that much. I have Minnesota projected to finish 12th in the West, which puts them at fourth place in the division. And then Oklahoma City dead last in the division and the conference, right? So I think for Minnesota, a lot of it's going to be how much can we see D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor at the same time. You got another nice piece at McDaniels there. I was really high on him coming into the draft. How does he fit? Is He, he kind of looks like he's going to be playing the four a little bit. And they still have Malik Beasley, who when he's out there, you know, the past two seasons when they acquired him from Denver, he's a 20 point per game guy. Right. So I think offensively, it's going to be it's going to be there. Chris Finch with a full season on this team. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of coaches this young roster. But my biggest concern for this team is kind of what we were just talking about with Portland is how comfortable are they going to be? not even looking to making the play-in game with a superstar on their team and Carl Anthony Towns. You know, this is another guy who has missed a lot of times, whether it be due to injury or, you know, just tragedy, just downright tragedy in his life. You know, you know, the loss of family is, is going to be something difficult for anybody to deal with. But Carl Anthony Towns, when he's right, he's one of the best players in the entire NBA. He's going to command a lot of value. And let's face it, there's no shortage of teams in the NBA who would want a skilled big man who can play the type of game that he can play. So is do they look to kind of give the keys more over to an Anthony Edwards and a, and a McDaniels on this team and a Malik Beasley and maybe try to move Carl Anthony Towns in D'Lo? Who knows? But I think the current construction of this team yields them only a 12th spot in the West. And I don't know if that's anywhere where you want to sell your fan base on, hey, we have Carl Anthony Towns and you know, we might we might be fun to watch on offense, but defensively, we're not going to be very competitive at all. And then for the Oklahoma City Thunder, they just needed to add some grownups in the room. Right. And it's hard to do in the draft. So what you have to do is you got to get guys who have good composure. Uh, Trey Mann, I don't know if he's that guy. He's a spark plug. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he plays alongside or even get minutes with an SGA and a Teo Maladon, who they got last year, who actually gave them good, solid minutes. So. We'll see how much uh, you know time he gets this season. And then Josh Giddy, kind of one of these guys that has to have the ball in his hand to be effective. We've seen SGA play alongside Chris Paul as an off guard. Maybe he kind of defers a little bit to Josh Giddy, but you just paid him max contract money, so obviously you're going to want to get good value and good output out of him. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, was one of the biggest deals in the entire draft, so that kind of helped their offseason to me. But, you know, losing the grownups like Al Horford, Kimball Walker was there maybe for a cup of coffee. And then, you know, now he's a New York Knicks. So we'll see. We'll see how Oklahoma City looks throughout the season. I don't have high hopes really for either franchise. So that's kind of where I'm at with both of these teams, Kenneth. Yeah, we talked about it on Up in Flames, Minnesota. And, you know, one of the teams or talking about Minnesota, someone was high on the fact that Minnesota could get into that play in game. And I, I said it then, Minnesota is just that franchise where no matter how much talent is there, I just always have doubts because of the franchise that they play for. They just have a history of underperforming. Um, even when they've had good teams, this is not a good team this year, but I just always tend to favor having them a spot or two lower in a conference just because I think there's franchises that are better set up to win more games. So that's where I, I think they're going to end up. As far as my overall rankings, you, you've you listed yours off throughout. 
I don't see any changes in this division this year. Um, Utah is very clearly the, the deepest team in this division. They're not dealing with injuries like a Denver is. I think they're going to be the one seed in the Western Conference again. Um, teams like LA are going to take time to figure it out. Phoenix doesn't have the depth that they do. And they went remotely injury-free last year. So if they can do it again this year, then they'll they'll challenge. But I still don't see them surpassing them. Denver at two because they have the MVP of the league from last year. And they've they've got Michael Porter Jr. coming into his own, Aaron Gordon. Like I just think that there's more pieces there and less to figure out because Portland at three, they got a new head coach where it's going to take them some time to figure it out. Minnesota at four, strictly because Oklahoma City just they don't have a second or third guy. Like you look but at Towns, they don't want to win either. Yeah, just yeah. Like, like neither of these honest. teams are looking to win. <laughs> Um, Minnesota would like to win so they can hold on to Towns long term, but he also even said in the offseason how unhappy he was with how things went. And you know, they're under new ownership and everything right away here. But will it be enough to to keep him long term? I have my doubts. So that's the Northwest Division. And before we head on to the Southwest Division, I do want to remind our listeners as well to go and check out play pickup. Uh, it's a free to play. All you have to do is enter your phone number to sign up and make your picks for games across various sports, including basketball. There's going to be a ton of great basketball ones there. If you go to offtheballnetwork.com, we always have play pickup polls there that you can sign up for. You can win prizes. You can make your picks. You can win prizes to Fanatics and, and a bunch of other great uh, products there. So uh, go and check play pickup, one of Off the Ball Network's great sponsors that we have. But we're going to head over now and talk about the Southwest Division. And Stephen, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you know, first off, just thanks for running through the Northwest Division, Ken. You're just you're one of the best in the business. And I'm glad I get to do the show show with you. So you mentioned that the Northwest Division was one of the stronger, you know, divisions within a conference. I think now we're going to the exact opposite end of the spectrum, which is really strange because Ken growing up, this was one of the best conferences in the entire NBA for quite some time. I mean, you're looking at teams like Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. I mean, the list goes on and on with this team, with the teams here. Memphis even used to be somewhat decent. And New Orleans, you know, they're kind of new. But overall, you know, the the three-headed monster in Texas was one of these, you know, one of the areas that you feared going into if you were a road team. That Texas trip was one of the worst that you can go on. Now you kind of circle it on your calendars. Maybe we rest some guys or you know, help bolster our standings. But we'll go ahead and get started here with our breakdowns of each team. And we're going to start with probably who I think is the best team in the division with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, they added guys like Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, and Frank Nielakina. Um, They were able to keep guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Boba Marjanovic, the, the big, fun-loving, you know, fan favorite down there in Dallas. And they only lost a guy by the name of Nate Hinton and made a couple other kind of minor changes. But by and large, we're looking at the same roster that they had last season, which didn't really finish all that well, right? If you're looking at having a potential MVP on your roster, going fifth overall in your conference, not even getting home court advantage, uh, this is not something that you want to sell your fan base on if you have an MVP potential type player in a Luka Doncic. So, Kenneth, what did you make of Dallas's offseason? I mean, I want to touch on your preamble there by saying, like, for me, this is by far the weakest division in basketball. It's not even the fact that, like, Dallas is your division winner, which, as you said, they're, you know, middle of the playoff standings as far as the Western Conference goes. And then your second best team is barely in the playoffs. 
And then you've got three really bad teams. So for me, this is by far the weakest division in basketball. But Dallas is a team that I really wish they would have done more this offseason. And I know that they made the coaching change. Obviously, Rick Carlisle out, Jason Kidd in. It's kind of that Chauncey Billups effect of bringing in a former point guard to work with your franchise player that is a point guard as well. But they just didn't make any moves that moved the needle for me. You lose Richardson and Melly. Richardson's the bigger loss because of the defensive side. But he he never really fit in Dallas for me anyways. Um, adding Reggie Bullock, I really liked. I thought it was one of the best moves of the offseason because of what he provides for Dallas. Ideally, they are Luka's going to dribble, dribble, dribble. He's either going to find a play for himself or he's going to find open shooters. Bullock's the perfect guy to have on the wing there. So... I'm okay with those moves. I liked both of the Brown moves, Moses and Sterling. I think that they're going to fit in just fine in Dallas. But once again, I just wish that they would have done more. Like we saw Porzingis play well last year, although a lot of people will try and tell you that he didn't. He had one mm-hmm. of his best statistical years. But Dallas as a whole, I just, you have Doncic, you have Porzingis, and you needed to go and add another piece. And I don't know if that's them waiting one year for a better free agent class this year or whether they just couldn't attract those DeMar DeRozan-type guys, or whether they thought they were bad fits. But I just would have liked to have seen Dallas make more moves than they did. But this is this is notorious Dallas anyways. They've always been that team that you want them to have a big free agency, and then they just don't do it. And so uh, overall, I think Dallas is still the best team in this division, barely. Like, I think yeah. it is barely, given the fact that the teams behind them, one team behind them, I should say, actually went out and they have young guys that are getting better and they made some moves. So for me, Dallas is still the best team in the division, but teams are catching them because they're complacent. Yeah, absolutely. And I have them projected to finish seventh in the Western Conference this season. And again, number one overall within their division. And to touch on just the Kristaps Porzingis thing, just real quick, uh, (laughs) I think that the criticism by and large was around his whole game. Now, if you wanted to come at me with defense, I would absolutely hands down. Like, there's no way to take away, you know, how much of a step back he took um, in terms of defense. But I think one year healthy, coming back after several injuries, I think that he'll figure it out. He has to learn angles a little bit better because his mobility is slightly hampered. And playing more of the five, I think, is going to help help this team out a lot. So we'll move on from from Dallas there and we'll go just a a little bit away from them uh, for the Houston Rockets. Now they added guys like Daniel Tice. They had a great draft in adding a guys like uh, Jalen Green, Alperen Shangun, Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher. They were able to keep Armani who was just a team favorite an absolute, you know, just sniper from distance and defender David uh, Nwaba. Now they did lose Kelly Olenek to Detroit. They lost Sterling Brown, Avery Bradley, who was just recently cut by the Golden State Warriors DJ Wilson, and they cut Dante Exum after inking him to a three-year deal. So I have them projected to finish 14th in the West, dead last in the division. Uh, What do you think, Kenneth, as far as Houston's uh, offseason? I actually like their offseason a little bit more than other people did. Um, When I look at them, obviously the major move is always going to be when you add a a number two pick in the draft in Jalen Green. I really like his offensive game. I think he's going to be a scorer for them right away. Obviously, Sangoon, I I liked him in the draft. I think it's a nice pick. I like Josh Christopher. I like Garuba. Overall, I just like their draft as a whole. When you have that many picks in the first round and you hit on so many, at least by my eyes, I think that you had a really good offseason. 
adding Daniel Tice is a solid big for them. He's going to provide them some secondary minutes. So I am a fan of him. He's going to replace a Linick, who is more so the scoring forward, but I don't think that they necessarily need that when you already have Christian Wood. And Christian Wood last year, he missed time, and that's when Olenek really exploded. I don't think that they really would have fit together, and I think Tice is a better fit there. I mean, overall, this is just going to be a fun team to watch. Cole said it on Up in Flames. This is a, a league pass team to watch because they have so many young pieces. You've got Kevin Porter Jr. You've got Christian Wood. Uh, the draft pick that they had last year, his name's escaping me right now, but he played really well for them last year as well. Um, so this team to me, I think they did enough to finish fourth in this division, but it's strictly because I think the team that's going to finish behind them, they just got gutted. Like they were a team that lost their best player, possibly their two best players. And so for me, that's why I would have Houston finishing fourth, but they're also not finishing with like a lot of wins here. Like to me, they're, they're like the 13th best team in the conference. And then you would have a team at 14. So it's not like a staggering difference, I think, between our two two finishes. No, absolutely not. And don't forget that um, maybe going to be the winner of most improved player and Kevin Porter Jr. playing alongside his yeah. buddy Jalen Green. So it's going to be a very um, fast, fast moving team. Steven Silas still with the organization, which you love to see him get another chance after the tumultuous season that he had last year with guys like Russell Westbrook and uh, James Harden. So. We'll move to uh, Memphis, where the Grizzlies, they added in the draft Zaire Williams and my guy, kind of a little, little known player in Santiel Dama. I was surprised to see him taken as high as he was, but it was cool to see my guy get drafted. They also added Steven Adams. They were able to keep uh, Killian Tilly, who little known guy didn't really do a whole, whole lot with the team, but they did lose some guys, Jonas Valanciunas and Eric Bledsoe. Um, he was traded away to the to the Clippers, Valanciunas to the Pelicans, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then they let Justice Winslow and Rajon Rondo go. Um, right now, I have them projected to finish 10th in the West, third overall in their division. I think um, they're looking to be one of these play-in teams. Kenneth, what do you think about the way that the Grizzlies handled their offseason? I really hated their offseason. I got to be 100% honest, and, and it's the Valanciunas move. I do not understand why you're letting go of a guy who fit well with the team. He's a double-double guy. And then you go out and add Steven Adams, who to me is just a guy that sets screens and gets rebounds, but he also clogs up the lane, which I don't love when you have guys like John Morant, who are more of the driving guards, and he's your franchise talent, so I don't love that. Um, I think Culver and Hernan Gomez are fine. I like Zaire Williams out of the draft, I guess that would be my one uh, high point because while he did struggle at Stanford, I think there were a lot of factors that went into that. Still think he's super young with a ton of talent. Um, but then losing Grayson Allen wasn't great either for them because he played really yeah. well for them. And a lot of people hate Grayson Allen because of the college stuff. But as far as a pro goes, the guy knocks down threes. He plays defense. He's very athletic. He does a lot of things really well. So to just let him go to Milwaukee the way that they did, I think that's an absolute steal for them and gives them a ton of depth in the Eastern Conference. So Memphis, for me, they're the second best team in this division. It's mostly due to the fact that the three teams behind them just haven't really done a lot or they have a lot of turmoil within the organization. So I think Memphis is going to finish as the eight seed again this year. I see them in the play-in tournament, um, mostly because I'm a lot lower on the Clippers than people, so I think they'll finish just behind them. But Memphis just hasn't done anything for me. If Jaron Jackson Jr. could ever stay healthy, then I think that would be huge for them. 
and I think could even vault them into that top six or seven teams. But until I see it, I got to believe that he's going to miss time because his career has just shown me nothing different. Yeah, and I was just about to mention, too, that you almost have to look at Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back healthy as a free agent acquisition if you're looking to sell anything to your fan base, right? Because in the preseason, he's been lighting it up. I mean, hitting step-back pull-up threes, you know, he's – He's got a very unique skill set for his for his size, you know, almost similar to a Carl Anthony Towns. So when you have someone that unique, um, they're looking to, uh, you know, eventually offer a max contract extension to him, which I think would be huge. But overall, he's going to be kind of the crux of how successful this team's going to be because we know that John Morant's going to put up, you know, superhuman highlight reels and you know crazy statistics and things of that nature. You still have you know Dylan Brooks on this team, uh, who is a you know at least a good defender and can put up at least a little bit of numbers. But to your point about Steven Adams, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how well he fits because you still have, like I said, Jaron Jackson Jr. who can spread out the floor. So you at least have one guy who's going to clog up the middle and he's almost always going to have to be involved with a pick and roll for John Morant in order for this team to function well enough. So it'll be interesting to see how um, Coach Taylor will do with that team, but we'll move on over to the New Orleans Pelicans, who right now I have projected to finish ninth in the West, second overall in the division. And they were able to add some pieces. Devontae Graham, who I think is an underrated point guard, uh, very much kind of an old school uh, point guard in the sense that he looks to set people up, but also very modern because if he shoots, it's pretty much from distance, right? So he doesn't have a whole lot of, um, you know, difference or variance in his game when it comes to his offensive repertoire. But Jonas Valanciunas, we just mentioned, I think adding him along to his Zion Williamson whenever he decides that he's healthy enough to play is going to be uh, very important for the development of this team. And then just adding another grown-up in Garrett Temple uh, to this organization, I think, is a solid move. They were able to keep Josh Hart, uh, Didi Luzada, and then Willie Hernan Gomez. They also lost Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams, who we just mentioned in that trade. Lonzo Ball ends up going to Chicago. And then James Johnson ended up in Brooklyn was another loss that they suffered. Again, Kenneth, I have them ninth in the West, second overall in the division. What do you see for the New Orleans Pelicans moving forward? I've got them at 10th, and it's strictly because of the Zion injury, because I actually thought the Pelicans were one of my biggest winners this offseason. And people might think that's crazy because, well, they were a team that finished outside of the playoffs last year, and like, what could they really have done? I think, firstly, ditching Stan Van Gundy was huge. I just think that he was a terrible fit there. When your fit is so bad that they have to then move J.J. Redick, who played under him and was successful under him, in order Mm -hmm. to try and, like, fix things, like, I think that you have major red flags there. And I really like Willie Green. I'm excited to see him as a head coach. Uh, He's a guy that's been an assistant on many benches. He was a player himself. I just think that he's going to be a great, like, player's coach. And yeah. I think that's what they need because they're concerned about Zion walking in a couple of years. And I think that this could go a long way in helping him mend the relationship within New Orleans and get them winning some games. I think ditching Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe is great because they're two pieces that really don't fit around your two best players. Like Bledsoe is not a shooter. He's a driver. Sonny's going to drive into Zion. He's going to drive into Adams. It's really not going to work. They didn't have a lot of shooting in the first place. So then you go out and add Jonas Valanciunas, who can stretch the floor because he can step out and hit those threes. It opens things up for Zion when he's there. Uh, I really liked some of the other moves that they made as well. Like I didn't like that they lost Lonzo, but I understand why they lost Lonzo overall because 
going out and getting Devontae Graham, I think he's not as good of a player as Lonzo, but I think that he's close, and I think that he provides more of what you need out of a point guard for that system. So I like Temple. I like Sadoransky. I think those are just guys that are going to fill out your bench. That's another thing that New Orleans has lacked over the last couple of years is you get into their bench and you're like, oof, like, but now you've got Josh Hart, you've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Like, I just think, I think they're starting to build something. I think they're going to build it under green this year. I only have them as the 10 until I know how long Zion is truly out, but they could move into the top eight for me pretty easily because I think they made the moves necessary in order to make Zion successful. Yeah, and the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is his health, and he's looking to be reevaluated about two weeks into the season, and that's just a reevaluation, right? That's not a, yeah. them expecting him to come back to play. So he could be missing upwards of the the entire first month of the NBA season. Which, if you're a team who finished eleventh last year and you're looking to make the playoffs, you don't want to start the the first months of the season without your best player, likely. And we'll see how Brandon Ingram can carry this team. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has a lot of hype surrounding him. We'll see if he can live up to that. And it'll be interesting to see, like how you mentioned, Coach Green handles his you know, first season as a head coach with a team that is hungry for some success moving forward. So speaking of a team that's hungry for success, we'll close out the Southwest conversation with the San Antonio Spurs. Now, this has been the model franchise for almost my entire NBA viewership uh, experience, Kenneth. But now we've seen over the past couple seasons – um, that Greg Popovich and, you know, Buford it, are human, you know, they're capable of making mistakes. And it's been interesting to see the, the how this roster has been comprised and who has made up this roster over the past couple seasons. And now we're just seeing them kind of bleed a little bit more. Right. We saw that they lost to Marta Rosen, Rudy Gay, Patrick Mills, uh, little known guys like uh, Gorgie Dang to the casual fan or Trey Lyles, Chandler Hutcherson and Daquan Jeffries. They were able to keep. Um, Keita Bates' job, and they also added guys like Doug McDermott, Zach Collins, signed a pretty questionable contract, in my opinion, due to his uh, injury history. Bryn Forbes making a return of sorts. Um, and then the interesting draft, draft pick of Josh Primo, who I had as a second-round grade, a high second-round grade, which you can still do a lot with a player like that, but seeing him take an 11th was a big uh, head-scratcher to me. Uh, he went scoreless twice in preseason basketball, not that that's an indication of him uh, you know, as, as a pro, because it's preseason, you kind of weigh it a little bit differently. But I have them finishing 11th in the West, fourth in the division. Kenneth, how do you see the San Antonio Spurs playing out their season? I think they're going to finish last in the division. And I like just look at their offseason. So you lose DeMar. That obviously is always going to hurt because he should have been an all star last year. He got absolutely yep. robbed of being an all star. You lose Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, Trey Lyles, Gorgie Jang. So what does that leave you with? It leaves you with DeJounte Murray and a couple other young pieces. And that to me just doesn't spell success in the NBA. Like I, I get it. They went out, they added Thaddeus Young, who's a longtime pro. I think he, he's a grown up, as you would say, like he's mm -hmm. just a guy that's going to provide some veteran leadership. They added Doug McDermott. I didn't love the value, but I understand his value as a player in, in the way that he shoots the basketball. I would prefer it if he was getting paid that from a championship team than a team like this. But when you're not in win now mode, these contracts really aren't that bad because you got to pay somebody like somebody on this roster has to get paid. So I think McDermott's fine. Zach Collins, if he comes back and plays well, like I think he's fine. But once again, he's like Jaron Jackson Jr. He's always hurt. So like, 
if he's not going to play very much, then to me, that's kind of just a wasted spot. I liked the Primo pick. I didn't like where it happened. Like, I loved Primo as a player, but, okay, if you were going to take him at 11, you very easily could have traded dra- traded back, probably acquired assets, potentially even another pick, and then still got Primo. So that one's a bit of a head-scratcher to me as well, but uh, I'm not going to badmouth the Canadian too, too much. So <laughs> I'm hopeful for him at least this year that he's going he's gonna to play well, but there's no eye popping moves. You lose your best player. You lose a lot of veteran leadership. You bring some in, but that can take time to develop. Popovich's coaching would be about the only thing to me that pushes them past Houston, because at least in Houston, you have those pieces that you really like, like a Christian would. I can't point to a player on this team. That's as good as Christian would. And so that's why I would have Houston just edging them out. If San Antonio does pass them to me, it's by a game or two, and it would have to do with injuries and Popovich's coaching. But either way, neither of these teams are winning many games. Like San Antonio is going to be at the bottom, and it's unfortunate to see, but they did have 20 years of success, so it is tough for me to feel too bad because every team at some point has to go through a rebuild, and unfortunately they're having to do so now. Yeah, and it's like they don't want to admit it. And just real quick before we move on, uh, Primo, we're, I'm curious to see where his minutes come from. You know, he's playing behind Murray, White, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, Bryn Forbes. Is, uh, we've seen Greg Popovich when he has guys, they are going to get playing time. You know, yeah. Doug McDermott's another one of these players. So it'll be interesting to see how much minutes he gets, even, even if he works out to be the 11th best player in this draft. It'll be interesting to see um, the, the number of minutes. But Kenneth, we're going to move on real quick to the top 10 players that we have uh, coming into this NBA season. But before we do, I just want to remind the listeners again one more time that my bookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000 cash. That's the largest bonus in the industry. They have the highest credit card acceptance rates. They have 48-hour payout processing. Just go over to mybookie.ag, use promo code off the ball, and let's win big together. That'll let you know that that'll let you tell them that we sent you and you will get a really, really good deal. And with, with that being said, Kenneth, I know that you're really big on the betting. We have a lot of guys on the network who are as well. All you have to do is go to offtheballnetwork.com, read anything that Kenneth and Pat throw out there as far as betting, listen to bets on bets, and then go over to my bookie, take their advice and we will all win big together. So go over to mybookie.ag, Kenneth, Let's go ahead and go into the top 10 players. Uh, how do you want to do this, man? Do you want to go 10 for 10, 9 for 9, or do you just want to go through the entire list? Let's hear it. So, so we'll go 10 for 10, 9 for 9. And also to touch on the my bookie stuff, if you're going and checking out those articles, I mean, golf betting article one this week. We're already up in NFL this week as well. Pat's always doing well on the UFC side, so definitely go and check those out. But we're going to start with our number 10 players. I uh, if you're watching it live, you can already see 10 through six, but if you're listening to the audio version, then you'll have to, to bear with us as we go. So my number 10 player heading into the year, we talked about him earlier was Damian Lillard. I'm intrigued to see how he's going to fit with Chauncey Billups. But to me, I had him outside of my top 10 for a lot of the off season. And it took me some time really to think about some of the guys that I would be putting ahead of him. And I just, I think Lillard's been doing it longer. I think that he still has a lot to give. Uh, we saw him even in the playoffs last year drop a 50 bomb. Like he's he's phenomenal at what he does. So I've got Lillard at 10. Steven, who's your number 10? Yeah, and hats off to you for putting Damian Lillard in there. I'm going to talk about him here in a little bit more as well. But one of my personal favorite players in the NBA, not that I'm really a fan of 
teams per se. I just got players I like. Jason Tatum, it's hard for me to deny him any sort of a top 10 recognition. I just think that with the amount of players that are already contracting COVID, including his second banana and Jalen Brown and Al Horford, uh, he's going to have a lot of pressure. He's already said himself that he wants to be taken more seriously in the top five player conversation. So with that being said, listen, we we had a great year with him last season. He was very efficient. I, mean, I believe he was around 39% from deep, and he takes some of the most difficult looks in the entire league. So very much so deserving of being top 10, not to mention he's one of these guys that can play on both sides of the ball. So that's why I got Jason Tatum number 10 overall. For sure. And I have Tatum at nine for all the reasons that you just said. I think obviously I'm a big fan of him being a Duke guy. Sucks that he's on the Celtics being a Lakers guy. So I guess I got to take a grain of salt with that one. But there you go. He hits big shots. He plays both sides of the ball. I think he's still ascending. Like I still don't think we have seen the very best of Jason Tatum quite yet. And I think that there's going to be plenty of great moments down the line for him. But overall, like just does so much for his basketball team. I think the only reason why Boston's even going to be in the the playoff consideration is because of this guy's play. Because while I do love Jalen Brown, I just think Jason Tatum is just that step better that they really need in a franchise leader. Who's your number nine? So number nine, I'm going to give you the only second banana on my top 10 list, and that is James Harden. And that is because this man was in MVP conversations last season when guys like Kevin Durant, more on him to come. And then Kyrie Irving, which we know his future is murky at best. I still think James Harden has those triple-double games in him. I still think that his ability to run the pick and roll and get guys like Nick Claxton involved early and often, guys like LaMarcus Aldridge with the pick and pop, you know, even him and KD look to have them run some double action together. James Harden, he's one of the biggest threats. Whether or not you like his style of play, that's irrelevant. You can't deny the output that he gives you on the floor any given night. So that's why I have him ninth overall, Kenneth. And number eight for me, it's James Harden. And over th- what's crazy is that our top, our top ten, we or top ten through six, we have all the same names, just different spots, and same for the top five. But I think the league is just so talented, like top end talent. Like you really know who those players are. And yeah, James Harden was an MVP consideration. And what's crazy is I think he's the most gifted all-around scorer in the NBA with the way that he can draw fouls. We'll see with the new foul rules this year how well he does uh, with those. But overall, he gets to the line a lot. He can shoot from downtown. He's one of the best passers in the league. And he is a, he is the number two in Brooklyn, but I don't think it's that far. Like I, It could easily be 1A, 1B as far as these two guys go with him and Kevin Durant. So I've got Harden there at number eight. Who's your number eight? And we, you just talked about him just a second ago, Kenneth. That's Damian Lillard. I'm not going to go too deep into my soliloquy on him because you hit on all the biggest points. The one thing I want to add is that people will look at the team success and say, yeah, he's so good. How come he hasn't done anything? Have you looked at his roster? Have you looked at the coaching situation? All decent, strong enough dudes um, for the most part, but he doesn't have like a, a, a James Harden like you just said, for Kevin Durant. So Damian Lillard constantly has this uh, Portland team in playoff contention despite who's injured. I mean, he, ca- he literally carried C.J. McCollum's broken back on his back not too long ago in the in the playoffs. So Damian Lillard on any other team in any other market would probably be a little bit higher on other people's list, maybe even my own, but it's hard to deny that Logo Lillard is one of the best players. That's why I have him number eight. 
for sure. And at seven and six, because we these are interchangeable for both of us, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid is number seven for me. He was the MVP of the league for about three quarters of the season last year before injuries ultimately derailed his MVP campaign. But I have to give Jokic number six because he went on and won the MVP. And I the reason why I give him the edge is the availability side. I think Joel Embiid, when he is playing, is a better basketball player than Nikola Jokic. But I know that Nikola Jokic is going to give me 80 games a year. And Joel, I know he's going to need time to rest. Like He's a guy that's young but has had a lot of injuries already in his career. So I had to favor Jokic. They're two contrasting styles as centers, too, because you've got one that's more so the back to the basket, really try and score the basketball. And then you've got the opposite side of things with Jokic, the distributor, but can also hit from the outside. I really love both of these players, and it was it was tough deciding between seven and six for me. Yeah, and I'm right there with you now. I have Nikola Jokic, the reigning league MVP, at seven. And just to touch back on something else you said, Kenneth, how blessed are we as far as NBA talent goes? Where my my seventh best player just won MVP, and we got a whole slew of guys that we're going to talk about here in a minute, but. I'm not going to having him at seven is not a knock on him at all in my book, because everything that you said totally applies. And one thing I'll say is you talked about the contrasting styles. I think that they can both play each other style as well, too, because Nikola Jokic, he's he's pretty he's pretty strong down in the paint. He's not a slouch at all. He's one of these European players that Kenneth, you remember when European players used to get the knock? They were soft. That doesn't apply here for Nikola Jokic. He's one of the. He's he's the the dad bod hero, you know what I mean? He he makes me think that I can go out and do a little something on the basketball court. And then Joel Embiid, I mean, he can step out and hit threes, and he has a little bit of a handle too. He he tries really hard to be a guard sometimes, which is one of the knocks against him. I will give you the availability portion, but if we're going peak for peak, Joel Embiid might give anybody a run for their money as far as MVP consideration goes because he's that dominant. I mean, a guy who can give you thirty and twelve and still get conversation that he doesn't try hard enough, give him give him <laughs> on my roster anytime, any night. I'll take him on board. Whether he's trying or not, if he gives me 30 and 12, I'll be happy. For sure. And so now we're into the top five, and these are the, the cream of the crop, the guys that, you know, they're in MV, MVP discussion every year. They're franchise leaders. Some of them are champions. Some of them are hoping to become champions. Um but at number five, we both have Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. And betting odds have him as the favorite heading into this season. I don't know if the team success is going to be there, but I think if he puts up the numbers, then he's definitely going to be there. He's a guy that can get you a triple-double any night. Like He's just so special to watch. Some of the shots that he hits, too, are just incredible to see. Like He had the game-winning floater three last year <laughs> that was like, what was he even thinking there? Like You think that it's a terrible shot? But it goes in, and that's why he's so special to watch. Why did you have Luke at five? Well, it's not so much of any knock against him. It's just that he's not the four guys ahead of him. You know, he doesn't have the the long-tenured success. Now, granted, this is what he's coming into his fourth season now, and the fact that he's already a top-five player, that's that should be enough for any sort of Luka fan to be like, okay, at least he's garnering respect across the nation or in even the world, right? But Luka... The one thing that he has got to improve upon is his efficiency scoring and also his ability to, to give some sort of effort on the defensive end. He's too big at the position that he plays to not cause enough trouble for the opposing player. Now, granted, he does get a hefty portion of the usage rate that's available to the team on any given night, 
and you can say, well, guards don't play defense like that anymore. Okay, that's fine. But Luca, you're too big to not give any sort of defensive effort and play passing lanes. I mean, come on, Steph Curry and James Harden once upon a time led the league in steals. Let's see you try a little bit to play some passing lanes at least. But overall, fifth best player, he could still win MVP because like I said, Nikola Jokic just won and he's seventh. But overall, if I'm building a team, there are only maybe a handful of guys that I would take over him. For sure. And the four guys that we have ahead of them, a lot of these guys are former MVPs, they're champions, finals MVPs. Like, this is the elite of the elite company. And the fact that Luca is just on the edge of that, having yet to even win a playoff series, he's been special in the playoffs, just hasn't been able to quite get past the Clippers. But number four, I've got LeBron heading into Mm -hmm. this year. And it's tough for me to put LeBron there because for so long it was LeBron was one or two easily for the last decade. Father time is starting to catch up because while the play is still there, the defense is a little bit lacking compared to years past. I think that's just the the 80,000 minutes that he's played in the NBA like he's been playing for so long that it's starting to catch up with him. And that's not a knock on him at all. But he was still an MVP candidate last year, which people forget was... Early on the year, it was Embiid and LeBron. And then LeBron got hurt, and then Embiid got hurt. So then, ultimately, Jokic wins the MVP. But I think LeBron at four is fair, given the fact that I think he's going to play 70 games this year. We know that he's going to take some nights off, because for LA, it's all about winning a championship this year. They don't care if LeBron plays 82 games this year. That's not the ultimate goal for the LA Lakers. So that's why I have LeBron at four, and then I have Steph at three, because one of the the greatest three-point shooter of all time. I'm not scared to say it anymore. I was a bit hesitant for a couple years there only because I wanted to see him actually get to that record. It's coming. We know that it's coming at some point. He's going to hit four or five threes a night, it seems like, every night. So uh, what he does for Golden State cannot be understated. I think he's just a special talent. Who are your four and three? Because they're interchangeable once again. Well, right. And Ken is just, um, I got an eye on the time here and it looks like we're kind of coming up against the end of our time here on um, the nothing but net channel here on dash radio. So if anyone wants to hear the rest of my and Kenneth's um, top five players in the NBA, would love for you to go check out breaking the game anywhere podcasts are available. Just go look up breaking the game, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at BTG NBA pod. And we just thank you guys so much for your listenership, your viewership, your subscriptions, all of those things that help us continue to do what we do on a weekly basis is much appreciated. So Kenneth, before we wrap up here on the radio, why don't you let the kind listeners know, um, you know, some of the things that you have in the works. Definitely. All I'll say is go and check out offtheballnetwork.com. We've got so much great content happening there. We talked about betting articles, but we've got NBA draft profiles already coming out. You know, our guy Erson and Steven and others are already scouting for this year's draft. So that's some stuff to look out for. My show, Shooter Shoot, Basketball Podcast. I've got Sage Alvarez on this week uh, on Tuesday night. So go ahead and check that out as well. And all my socials are at shooters underscore pod. So definitely check that out for sure. Yeah, and just keep an eye out because this upcoming Friday, we're starting Full Court Fridays brought to you by Off the Ball Network on Twitter Spaces. So we got some exclusive Twitter content we would love for you guys to come check out. And as for myself, I have a um, 30 questions, one for each NBA team that's going to be released. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already out. So go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs and go check out 
that latest article. Just real quick, again, we're going to shout out my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag, enter in promo code off the ball, and they'll match whatever it is that you put up up to $1,000. And uh, we'll go ahead and win big together. And then, Kenneth, go ahead and plug our other sponsor, please. Definitely go check Play Pickup as well. So many great uh, props over there. Uh, we had some for golf. We've got some for basketball, NFL, all those great stuff. You can win prizes for fanatics. You can win uh, a ton of other great stuff over there. So go and check them out. All you have to do is enter your phone number to enter. All the picks are free, but the prizes are great. So definitely go check them out. All right. So again, come listen over to Breaking the Game on our podcast for the rest of our top five uh, players. But as for our time here on the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio, um, this has been Breaking the Game. This has been Stephen Gillespie, Kenneth Cotterell, representing Off the Ball Network. Um, just please, again, offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs. But for all of you lovely listeners, we'll catch up with you all next time. Much love, everybody. Much love. So number four and number three for you. I've got LeBron and then Curry. What's your order? Yeah, and I just have the inverse of that again. I mean, we talked about how all these players just kind of nip-tuck, and I just went with Steph Curry at fourth because maybe it's just how great LeBron James has been for basically ever, you know, since 2003 when he was drafted. But um, Steph Curry, again, no knock against him. It's just going to be – I think team success is actually playing a little bit into – um where I'm ranking these guys because I think the Lakers will be more successful than the Golden State Warriors. And look, Steph Curry showed last season that he can deal with regular team problems. You know, he he had a lot of his players out for the season. Klay Thompson um, has missed a couple seasons. Draymond Green, we're not getting, you know, the, the Draymond Green of old anymore. We're getting an old Draymond Green who is not as talented defensively, which is still one of the best defenders in the NBA. And then James Wiseman missed quite some time too. They're, they're, you know, top three pick from last season. So we'll see how Andrew Wiggins looks on this team. Kelly, Kelly Oubre Jr. That was a failed project for them last season. Steph Curry though has been the mainstay. He has showed that he can lead the NBA, the NBA in scoring with a, you know, a less than stellar roster. And that's why I have him fourth. And then LeBron James. I mean, the guy is just defying the the laws of time, you know, the laws of everything. He is just completely pushing passes. The NBA's Tom Brady, and he might still be one of the best players in the NBA at this advanced stage in his career. It just looks different. It does remind me a little bit of an older Michael Jordan. I'm not trying to get this, you know, who's better than who <laughs> all time. I'm just saying it's reminiscent of a Michael Jordan because we get we see these guys as they age, their body the they're using the physicality is a lot different now. It's more of a mental stage. And we saw it with the greats like Kobe Bryant even included in that as well. Now we're seeing LeBron James play more with his mind than anything else. And it's fun to see whether or not you love him, whether or not you hate him. You can't deny how great he is, which is why I have him third overall. For sure. And like we know, both those guys are all-time talents. They're going to be top 10, top 15 all-time when all said and done. Um, some even top five for sure. And so just special talents. And then at one and two, we're interchangeable once again. So I'll give my reasoning uh, why I have Kevin Durant at two and why I have Giannis at one. I mean, Kevin Durant was great last season. Mm-hmm. Like we saw these two battle it out in the playoffs and Brooklyn was hobbled. I mean, Kyrie was missing time. Harden was out there, but we know that he wasn't the same after he had his his leg issues. So I mean, I just I loved watching Kevin last year. He's he's so fun to watch because it's so weird to see a guy that tall, 
but that skill that not only handling the basketball, but shooting it and all the things that he does for Brooklyn. And overall, I just had to put Giannis one because I think he had one of the best postseasons of all time. Mm-hmm. And not only that, one of the best NBA finals of all time as well, because he took a Milwaukee team. Everyone will point to, well, Brooklyn was hurt. That's why Milwaukee advanced. Well, they still then had to go on and win the NBA championship. They had to beat the Atlanta Hawks like they did in six game, a team that's up and coming in the Eastern Conference. And then they took on a Phoenix team with Chris Paul playing well, DeAndre Ayton coming into his own, and Devin Booker ascending as a superstar in the NBA. And he just closed them out. And he had help from Chris Middleton down the stretch. You know, Drew Holiday Mm -hmm. made plays, but it fell on Giannis, and he put up 50 points in a closeout game and just said, that's my NBA championship. And, you know, maybe it's a bit of recency bias, but to me, that solidified him as the best player in the game. He was the finals MVP. He's been a multiple-time MVP. He's been a defensive player of the year. I just think all around he is the best NBA basketball player right now. We're even seeing it in preseason. The guy's hitting jump shots now where it's like, oh, boy, you add that to his arsenal. How do you stop that man now? And so for me, Giannis is the best player in the league right now. Why did you have Durant at one and Giannis at two? Well, you know, for starters, the recency bias that you just so eloquently put, it was super hard for me to deny that because – I don't know if anyone was more happy than me. And I'm just saying, I know that there are people who are equally, if not more happy than me, but in the moment, I felt like that Giannis was just like my best friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, I was just so happy for him because what if all the knocks that we've seen surrounding the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, Mike Budenholzer went from potentially being fired to, okay, we're going to keep you around for a couple seasons because you want a ring. Like that's the way it works in the NBA. You know, we saw them, botched the trade for Bogdanovich and they only end up with Drew Holiday, which ended up playing kind of an Ed Reed type role against Chris Paul in the finals. And that worked out beautifully because without a Drew Holiday, could you imagine how far this team would not have gone if they had Bogdanovich instead of Drew Holiday? That's not a knock against Bogdanovich. He's just not that defensive stopper that we've seen in Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton, I started the season off with an article that I wrote for for offtheballnetwork.com called The Case for Chris. Not that I said that he was the best player, but that he was the most important player, meaning that in clutch time scenarios, that he is the guy that you need with the ball in your hands. This is a team that New Orleans really should model their their building around you know the 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 composition of their roster they need to kind of follow a um, Milwaukee Bucks roster model and it's because Giannis Antetokounmpo has learned that he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands the entire time him as a screen and roll threat in the playoffs I think is what opened his game up so much because it puts him and his teammates in more favorable positions and matchups and we saw that bear out into fruition with an NBA championship Giannis with a 50 50 point double double on five blocks it's really hard to top that, right? But I think overall, pound for pound, Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA because look at how well he played after missing, what, a season and a half with injury. He turned out to be an MVP form when he only played like close to 40 games. This is going to be a more healthy season. There's less mouths to feed probably at least for the road or the home games, right, with Kyrie Irving not going to be able to play. So we know that James Harden, is kind of turning into a more deferential type player, which means that KD is going to eat. And there is no one, and I mean no one in the NBA, that you can put on Kevin Durant that's going to slow him down. Giannis adding that jump shot certainly helps and kind of makes me double think my take as far as who's number one and number two. 
but I know what KD is going to give you. I don't know that Giannis's jump shot is going to translate and live out through the entire season. I know Kevin Durant's going to eat, and I know that him being healthier this season compared to last season, he, in my opinion, there's no one in the NBA who can touch him, and he's also not a slouch on the defensive end either. So there is that working in his favor. For sure. He's definitely never been a slouch defensively. That's something that I think gets lost in the shuffle because every time you have that discussion about Kevin Durant, it's like, well, how great he is offensively. Mm-hmm. Well, defensively, he is still solid. Like, th- let's not take anything away from him in that regard. So to me, it's like a 1A, 1B. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's all a personal preference thing. I don't think you could legitimately make a case for anyone outside of those two right now. Like, we talked about it. LeBron's hurt. Steph's team hasn't been playing great. And Luca's just too young. But outside of that, you, like there's no players that you can compare to these two right now. We saw them dueling in the playoffs. Kevin Durant's a big toe away from winning that series, like or at least going to overtime and having a chance to to mm-hmm. win that series. So for me, it's one A, one B. It's all a personal preference thing. But it's it's great to see both of these players in their prime. Like I I always feel grateful that we get to see these guys because they're just special basketball players and players that we're going to tell our future kids and grandkids about because of how much talent they have on the basketball court. But that wraps things up for this episode of breaking the game. Uh, Steven, before, before we sign off here, I know we just did a bit of a sign off a couple minutes ago, but tell the folks where they can find your work. Yeah, absolutely. Just follow breaking the game anywhere that you have social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at BTG NBA pod. Go check out offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. Go to our YouTube page. We're growing in content, and we're trying to grow in subscriptions for that as well. Go to YouTube and look up Off The Ball Network. Uh, again, for all your sports needs, our, our buddy JP, the franchise over at Twitter, some great YouTube videos on there, and he does them for a multitude of sports. So please go and check all of those things out. Um, offtheballnetwork.com is where my article will be for the 30 questions, one for each NBA team. Put a lot of time into that. And I think that every team, I think most fan bases, if not all of them would agree that the questions that I touched on are the ones that are looming in the back of everyone's mind. So um, please go check that out. Interact with us. We love to interact. And then if you want to follow me myself, you can follow me at Stephen G Hoops on Twitter. Um, You can follow me at Stephen W Gillespie on Instagram. I'm more active on Twitter. So uh, hit me up there. But Kenneth, it's been an honor and a pleasure, um, you know, running the show alongside you again, man. Can't wait for this entire NBA season that we have ahead of us together and uh, appreciate the work that you do, man. For sure. There's going to be a lot of great stuff coming from breaking the game every week. We're going to be talking about NBA games start on Tuesday. So we're going to have a ton of stuff to talk about some early reactions just to some teams that we see because. You know, a lot of teams made a lot of moves. We'll see how they how the chemistry looks right out of the gate. We'll be touching on that next week, possibly with a guest. We'll see. We'll see what we're we're working with. Yeah, and just one more thing I forgot to touch on. I don't know if you were going to, but on Twitter, um, we have a Twitter space exclusive that we're starting up at Off the Ball Network. Um, it's called Four Court Fridays, where we will do a weekly NBA recap slash preview show. And it's going to be a good time. A lot of the talking heads that we have over there that love hoops will be involved in that on a weekly basis. So go over to your Twitter spaces and look up Off the Ball Network's Full Court Fridays for your NBA content. For sure. We're going to have a a ton of different hosts, a ton of different guys on there. It's going to be a different crew every week. 
Uh, Steven and I'll be on there sometimes and, and a lot of other great contributors at Off the Ball Network. But uh, we appreciate everyone who, you know, took away from NFL Sunday in order to tune into the show. Uh, even myself, I, I was still tuning into NFL Sunday as we were recording. So uh, exciting times in the sports world with the NBA starting up. We're right in the swing of NFL, NHL starting up as well. Just a lot of great stuff. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Yep. Much love, everybody. Thank you.